Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, Season 4 begins with some creepy ranches. No, not that one. Some other ones. It's a Buckeye, Arizona and Sedona, Arizona. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome, finally, to the beginning of Season 4. I know it's only been, like, three weeks, but it feels way longer for some reason. Um, but this is the beginning. This is Episode 1, 4.01 of Season 4. And uh, before I get into the show proper, I have, like, one, two, three, four or so kind of... Uh, 
housekeeping notes to go over with everyone. The first one you may have already noticed, uh, the little stinger at the beginning of the show is different. I am no longer with Big Heads Media. I uh, won't go into why, but I decided to uh, join another network, a smaller network, Straight Up Strange Productions, because quite frankly, they're a much more niche group and every show in the network is a show that if you listen to this show, you will thoroughly want to listen to as well. They're all stories. They're all stories. They're all podcasts about the strange and the weird and the wonderful. So I just thought it was a better fit. I thought it was a better better place to be in. And we'll see see where it goes from here with a Straight Up Strange. The second thing, and I'm not sure depending on how well this has been rolled out or how this is actually going to work, you may have also heard is there are going to be uh, some sponsors, some ads on this show. Uh, so I just want to go over that a little bit. So like... This is going to this is a thing that's offered by Acast, my uh, provider, the hosting service that I use to uh, do the podcast with. And uh, what it is is these are going to be dynamic ads that are placed in the show. So I'm just letting everyone know I don't have any real control over what they are. You know, I don't know what they're going to be. I don't know what the content's going to be. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be anything weird or like, you know, terrible. But I just just know that. I have no control over what they are because they're dynamic. So they they will change over time so that they are always relevant. So that way you aren't getting like an, an audible code that was put in, a, put in an episode three years ago and now it doesn't work. It's always going to be dynamic and upgrading itself. So I'm going to let everyone know when those ads pop up in case you want to, you know, fast forward through them or just know when they're going to be because they're always going to be in the same place and if i do change where they're going to be i'll let you know so right now there should be a pre-roll one which you will hear straight up before you hear anything else you'll hear that one and then the other two will come in after the booms that was kind of always the booms purposes that we're always supposed to be place order holders for sponsors or other little advertisers like that and so when you hear a boom in between the in, in between the segments like I've always played, at the end of that sound effect, it'll be an ad. So as soon as you hear that, you know, oh, one's coming. And you can listen to it, you can not listen to it, you can, you know, do whatever. But I just want to let everyone know up front that um, I don't know when they're going to start popping up. Like, I've set it all up, and ACAST is doing it. So I don't know if they're quite ready to go with it yet, but those are coming. If you listen to older episodes, episodes that that were before this one, uh, then you will probably just hear a pre-roll and post-roll ad. So one at the very beginning of the show and one at the very, very end of the show. But from this episode on, that's where they'll be. And if, like I said, if I change them, like if the one at the beginning gets kind of annoying and people don't dig it, I might stick it at the end of the music in the middle instead of having it at the beginning. But we'll see how it goes. So that's one note. That's two notes. Uh, the other thing, I guess maybe only three notes, the other thing is I want to talk a little bit about Patreon. Oh, there is a fourth note. Duh. This is not on my whiteboard. Patreon. Um, I've talked about it here and there. I've been touting some stuff on Twitter. Uh, but I'm going to try to launch it, launch it on or around July 1st so that it starts at the beginning of a month. It'll just make it easier for me to figure out content and stuff. 
So uh, I'll let everyone know which episode that'll be. It'll probably be the next episode is when we'll go live. And uh, I just want to I just want to go over the tiers really quickly. Um, there's going to be three tiers, all of them pretty cheap. Uh, tier one is uh, the bump in the night tier, and that is one dollar. One dollar a month will get you a shout out on this show. So after the credits, the credits, <laughs> after the end music rolls, uh, there will be kind. Of, I'll come back on and I will read out. Whatever name you want. It could be your name. It could be your Twitter handle, your Twitch handle. I don't care, just as long as it's not, like, offensive or derogatory or, you know. If it is, then I'm just not going to read it. You will also get access to the kind of exclusive members-only Facebook page that I'm going to start for the show. And uh, not sure what we're going to do with it yet, but, you know, it'll be a place where we all can come and hang out and talk about stuff. And there might be some, like, you know, some... Maybe some live stuff, some videos and all that. But it'll be there for whatever we can figure out what to do with it. The other thing is I'm going to be posting little kind of blog posts, little videos here and there. Also in Patreon, I might do some behind-the-scenes stuff. I might do some FAQ stuff. I want to review uh, weird paranormal books that I read that don't have anything to do with the show. And maybe put some reviews up on there. Maybe do a little blog post like that. So you'll get access to all of that. And you will also get an exclusive sticker that you can only get by joining Patreon. So the sticker, I've already kind of, I've, I've tweeted and Instagrammed a picture of it. It's just the logo. But in the Patreon color palette, the kind of light pink, the coral pink, uh, navy blue and white that Patreon uses... The next tier is the uh, Phantom Sounds tier, and that is going to be three bucks a month. With that one, you get the Facebook page, you get the shout out, you get the uh, extra Patreon goodies. Uh, instead of getting the sticker, you get a square button. That's the same design as a sticker, but this will be a button instead. Uh, you will also get uh, your own RSS feed, which will offer a... Uh, ad-free, promo-free version of the show, and you will also get access to the tracks to the music that I play on the show, the MP3s of all the stuff I have made and all the stuff I'm going to make. Um, the stuff that loops behind me, the kind of music bed stuff, I'm going to tinker around with and see what I can do because, like, it's made to loop, so it doesn't really have a beginning and an end. It's just, like, the middle of a song. So I might go back and try to retrofit edit some of those to make them more more easy to listen to just out right out of the gate. But all the stuff that I play in the middle, kind of the interlude music, I'm going to throw up and everyone can do, uh, you know, download them, play them, whatever. And that is the third, the second tier. The third tier is the EVP session tier, and that is $5 a month. With that, you get everything that I mentioned before, so... You get the button and the sticker, the Facebook group, the shout-out, the goodies, uh, the promo-free version of the show, the ad-free version of the show, the music. And you will also get uh, STS Backroads, which is going to be an exclusive podcast to Patreon. It's going to be kind of a mini version of the show. Like, There's a lot of stuff that I want to do shows on. But there's just not enough meat on that bone to really, like, put it in this show. 
A great example is like Black Eyed Kids. That's going to be the first episode. As I'm going to do a couple little episodes on Black Eyed Kid Encounters because there's a bunch of them and it's an amazingly interesting topic. But there isn't like one that's long enough or a couple that are long enough and have enough going on where they could be main features on this show. So it's going to be stuff like that. And uh, I might play around with the format a little bit. So I might throw in some true crime cases uh, in there as well and just see see what we can do with it. We'll see how it goes. Might change it a little bit over time depending on feedback and stuff. But that will release on the weeks that this show doesn't. So if you have the EVP session tier, you will be getting contact, content, content every week. And that's it uh, for right now. So that'll be launching. I'll let everyone know it goes. Uh, the other little thing and that I did, I'm just testing it out because it was another thing that ACAST did. There is a way where if you don't want to do a Patreon or anything like that, and then you just want to leave like a small one-time donation to help out the show, you can do that. You can basically leave me a tip, if you will. Uh, if you go to stscast.com under the support tab, there is a link called ACAST Supporter, which will essentially just bring you to a page and you can leave a little donation and a message and a nickname and all that, and I'll get that, and that all will help out the show. So I know that's been a lot, and it's a lot of like, oh, give me money, but... Uh, I'm in season four. I've been doing this over for a year and a half, and I kind of want to see where I can take this with it. But, you know, it all supports the show. It's all going to go back into the show. It's going to be to buy equipment. It's going to be pay for hosting. It's going to be to buy books, all of that, you know, and just see where we can go with it. And uh, so I'm done with all of that. Let's get on with the uh, show proper. have a couple of promos to play for you first. One is from uh, Straight Up Strange Productions, Into the Portal, and the other one is from my old friends over at Brew Crime. So take a listen, and when I come back, we're going to be talking about a batshit crazy ranch in Arizona. And then we're going to talk about another batshit crazy ranch out of Arizona. So I think it's going to be a fun opener tonight, so I will be back in just a little bit. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Beck. And I'm Nina. And we're your hosts. We pair a true crime story with a craft beer. That Nina will probably hate. Yeah, probably. Whatever. You can find our show on all your favorite podcast apps, and if you can't find it, contact us, and we'll try and change that. We can be found at brewcrime.com or on all social media platforms at Brew Crime. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and try not to giggle. Okay, so like I said... Tonight we're doing ranches, which is kind of an odd topic uh, when you first think about it, because I can't believe that there are... At first, I couldn't figure out, like, why are there so many, like, ranches just full of strange stuff, right? Like, obviously, you have Skinwalker Ranch, which I decided not to talk about because there's a TV show out now. There's a big documentary. That was Like, we know Skinwalker Ranch. But I wanted to talk about kind of the other two big ranches, and I'm sure these aren't the only 
three that fall under the uh, creepy ranch category. But I want to talk about Stardust Ranch in Buckeye, Arizona, and I wanted to talk about the Bradshaw Ranch, a.k.a. Galactic Park. Get it? <laughs> uh, which is also in Arizona, but it is uh, outside of Sedona, Arizona. And it's always, like, in, until I started researching this and reading two books for this and looking at some stuff, I was like, why are there so many weird ranches? And then it, it started to make sense to me. Um, I've I've started kind of looking at um, electromagnetic anomaly maps of the United States to see where the really heavy kind of uh, clusters are of high electromagnetic energy. Uh, for example, Waverly Hills, very high. Like the map that I use has a scale. I'm not 100% sure like what it's measuring, but the lowest point on the scale is like negative 300. And that's like a dark blue, like that's nothing. And then the highest is like 400. And that is like a very pale pink. So if you look at like Waverly Hills in Kentucky, it's just the palest pink you'll ever see. And then when you look at Arizona, like Arizona is just pink and light red and just it's just nothing but high energy anomalies. And then you look at Utah, and Utah doesn't have a lot of it, but it does have it where it counts, where the Skinwalker Ranch is and the Utah Basin and all of that. So I, I was like, okay, well, maybe that's something. And then the other thing is most ranches are just gigantic. Like, I've driven through Utah. I've driven through Colorado. Like, they're just huge tracts of land. And uh, it's a Monty Python reference. And, uh, you know, so, of course, the more land something takes up, the more room it takes up, the more... Uh, the more chance it has to just have weird stuff going on, you know? So you take just the, the massive size of these things, except for like Stardust Ranch. Apparently it's only like 10 acres, but I bet at one point in time it was like way back in the day, I bet it was bigger because you can kind of see where, if you look at a Google map, you can kind of see where it's been parceled up. And uh, you take those two and you kind of put them together. Then you can see, kind of see where, oh, this makes sense. Because if that land was just developed and there's a bunch of houses on there, well then this house would have a weird portal in it and we would just think it's a haunted house. When in reality, that maybe that weird portal has always been there, but the house is now on top of it. But now that if it's a ranch, there's no house there. There's just a, you know, now I'm rambling, but that's what we're getting to. So I wanted to talk about these two. Um, I will say, uh, get your salt out. Take it with a couple grains of salt because I'm not sure. Like, I'm going to get into some of the stuff where I'm kind of like, well, eh, a little hinky stuff. But... Even if, like, 25% of what I'm about to tell you is true, it's still, they are still fascinating places that I think uh, more people need to talk about. So let's start off with uh, Buckeye Ranch, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Stardust Ranch in Buckeye, Arizona. Buckeye, Arizona started life in 1877 as Sydney, Arizona. Settler Mally Jackson named the town after his hometown of Sydney, Ohio, which is the town that I work at when I'm not furlonged until the end of July. Jackson also helped to build the nearby Buckeye Canal. The canal was named after the Ohio State tree. In 1888, the town was renamed Buckeye. As of now, Buckeye boasts a population of 79,620. The town lies in Maricopa County and is surrounded by desert and mountains. It may also be surrounded by something else. 
it may be surrounded by beings from another world, or maybe another dimension. John Edmonds, a psychiatric counselor out of Phoenix, Arizona, had become increasingly overwhelmed with his profession. So much so that in 1996, he opted not only for a change of pace, but a whole new path. He wanted to buy a ranch, a dream he always had. His plan was to use the ranch as an animal rescue, mainly for dogs. However, as years went on at the ranch, horses also became a big part of his life. And in the book, I'm, I didn't highlight it, but I just remembered it. He started doing horses because one day he went out and he just found like four abandoned horses that someone had just let out. Like obviously they were domesticated and were malnourished and were like, we don't know how to, we don't know how to survive out here. So he took them in and horses and dogs kind of became a big, a big stay for him and his ranch. Along with his wife, Joyce, they purchased a 10 acre ranch in the Rainbow Valley on April 19th, 1996. This ranch would go on to be called Stardust Ranch. Little do the couple know that soon, very soon, almost immediately in fact, that things on Stardust Ranch were not what they seemed. The odd activity began the very first day the Edmonds moved onto the property. So like moving in day, like we're pulling up with our Jeep and a truck and a you know U-Haul van full of stuff. It was moving day as John and Joyce parked their truck and slid the keys into the lock for the very first time, and they were met with an odd sight. All of the former owner's possessions were still in the house. Everything was in the house, as if no one had moved out at all. Confused, John called the realtor and told him of the situation. The realtor suggested they go have a night out on the town and kill a few hours and uh, he would find out what was going on. Later that evening, when the Edmonds, and their last name is Edmund, I don't know if I, if I mentioned that, returned, they were delighted to find the house had been emptied. Taking a quick tour around the now empty house they owned, the couple soon went back to check out the pool. What they saw turned their confusion up to 11. The empty pool had been filled with all the past owner's things. John called the realtor back, and this time, he was not so accommodating, he had no idea what happened, but since they had paid cash for the house, it was now their problem. John solved his problem by simply putting all the former owner's stuff out front and giving it away for free. In the book he says, it was all very nice stuff, but I had my own stuff. So that's weird. Um, I, I linked in the show notes because the, uh, the kind of the realtor listing for it, because he's been trying to sell the ranch for a while. And you can see, uh, you can go through the pictures, not a lot of them, but it does show a picture of the pool and all the, you know, you can just imagine cramming a house full of stuff in it. John even had issues with the simple act of getting his phone connected. He had noticed when looking at the house before they purchased it, that there seemed to have been a large number of phone lines already running into the house. He had no idea why, and he had forgotten to inquire the realtor about it. He called his phone company, and they said they would send a technician out the next day. However, the next day came and went, and no one showed up. John called back. Another appointment was made, and again it was ignored. On his third call, John had an interesting talk with the customer service person on the other end. She told him his address had a strange reputation, and that most of their contractors did not like being alone in the house. Eventually, he did get someone to come out to the house and hook everything up. 
The contractor was a lifelong resident of Buckeye and was able to give him some interesting details about the house's history. The house had been built in 1977, a surprise for the first owner's wife. But she hated the vibe of the place from the start and would never live there. She refused. Shortly, the couple moved out and an off-track betting outfit moved in. This is the reason for the myriad of phone lines running into John's house. This wasn't all. It had been rumored that the betting outfit, and possibly a brothel, was owned and operated by a fringe group known as the Sons of the Gestapo. And in 1995, an Amtrak train was sabotaged and derailed near Palo Verde, Arizona. There were notes found around the wreckage, and these notes blamed the government for the 1994 Waco siege and were signed the Sons of the Gestapo. So the timeline's a little weird there, but I think I figured it out. Um, he's the, This guy is positing that the Sons of the Gestapo had been around for a long time, uh, and they didn't necessarily own the house in 1995, but they did at some point in time. Because if you go back and look at the owner records, you can see that it was sold a few times between 19... 77 to 1996 so i'm saying i think what he's saying is like yeah they lived here not during the amtrak thing but they were using this property for stuff uh throughout the 70s and the 80s even though no one was ever caught or convicted of the derailment the phone for the phone contractor said that not only did sog own the betting outfit but at one point there had been a shootout at the ranch uh, and the organization over the years had been quietly stamped out after that, things would continue to boil. John would start to notice strange red and orange lights in the sky. These lights would zoom around the sky at high speeds. You know, the stuff you always like, high speeds and weird maneuvers and all of that. Things would also start to go missing around the house and sometimes turn up in odd places. By this time, John had started to notice that when there was a certain change in pressure of the atmosphere around him, things would start to happen. Uh, over the years, he would become attuned to it and also began to document the happening. So I want to pause here for a second. He does document stuff, and this does take place over, like, 20 years. Like, I mean, he still owns the ranch to this day. But he doesn't really give a lot of concrete dates and times. So I'm flushing out the timeline timeline the best I can. So, But there isn't really, like, on this day this happened and on, the, you know... Like, by the time he started figuring this out, it could have been a couple of years into it, for all I know. So, I'm just kind of going in a chronological order, and I can't really assign too much of a great big time to it, other than in parts of the book where he says, like, oh yeah, this happened years later. So, you know, um, just keep in mind, this is like a 20-year span of time. Soon after the balls of light and the missing objects uh, came the branding. Both John and Joy started to get unknown burns on their skin, and at times, these burns look like some sort of full-on brand. Like when you brand a cow, like, you know. This always seemed to happen in their sleep and continues to this day. Weirdness was building the longer they stayed on the ranch. And even though Joyce was privy to some of what was going on, John had kept her in the dark for most of it. She was already fearful of the ranch and already made his, and he had already made up his mind to stay. You know, it was his, he had sunk all this money into it and it was his property and he was going to make it work. So that's kind of what it was. However, one incident on a Friday night would change all that. Kind of after this, they were they were in it together for the most part. The two didn't see much of each other throughout the week. 
Joyce often worked late at her job, and John was always tending to something on the ranch. Because of this, they always made sure to make most of their weekends together. One Friday night, they decided to go into Phoenix for some Mexican food. And Phoenix is the closest town. Uh, Buckeye's like south of Phoenix a little bit. John waited for Joyce to get ready, and they both headed off in the town. While at the restaurant, Joyce got up and said she would be back and then disappeared. Uh, she went to the restroom, apparently. While she was gone, John pulled his mobile phone off the belt clip. Keep in mind, this is like the mid to late 90s, so the mobile phone is gigantic, and it's on a belt clip, because that's what we did in the late 90s. He noticed it was turned off, so he turned it back on, and immediately it started buzzing and beeping to alert him to several missed calls and voicemails from his house. There should not have been anyone at his house. He started listening to the voicemails. They were all Joyce on the other end of the line. So he was distressed and wondering why John had left without her. John called back his distraught wife and told her he was at the restaurant and he would explain when he got home. He then waited for Joyce's doppelganger to come back. It did uh, like 10 minutes later. It seemed to know the jig was up. It sat down across from him and when he looked into its eyes, they turned completely black. John then left the thing at the table and got the hell away from the restaurant. The only thing he could do was tell Joyce the truth about the doppelganger. This would not be the last time a double would show up, and it wouldn't always be Joyce. Sometimes this thing would uh, go the other way around and try to trick him, but over the while they kind of figured out uh, kind of the telltale signs, I suppose, of figuring out what was uh, the doppelganger and what wasn't. And that really, when I heard that tidbit of the story, that's when I was like, oh, I'm doing this for the show. I'm getting that book. And uh, so that's why it's on here is because of that story. But there is there is another story that is also really out there. For some time, this would all go on. The lights, the poltergeist activity, the branding, animal mutilations. But soon, some of the entities responsible for the activity would make themselves known. One night, John lay in bed. His eyes were closed but he wasn't quite asleep yet. He then felt a touch on his arm. John had taken to keeping a baseball bat near the bed for protection, and this was the moment to use it. Without hesitation, he grabbed the bat and swung at the darkness in front of him. The bat made contact with something on the side of his bed. He felt it, and he heard a hissing sound, as if a air was leaking out of like a baseball, or like, not baseball, like a football or something. John flipped the light on and saw three four-foot-tall alien greys at his bedside. He attempted another swing, but the bean simply vanished in front of him. This would only escalate from here, both by the Indies and John. Soon, the two would start to be abducted. On many occasions, John would wake up to see his wife levitating above the bed. And uh, for a while, he could just kind of grab her and push her back down and everything was cool. But on one of these nights, he could not pull her back down. And he watched as she floated through the solid wall to the outside. John, by this time, had started buying guns. He said he wasn't a big gun guy, but uh, a couple of years on the ranch changed all that. He grabbed an AK-47 and ran outside to see a disc-like craft hovering above his hovering wife. He shot at the craft and it put her down, and it flew away. 
John would also have his own experience with strange craft. Over the years, he had taken the drive of his Jeep out into the wilderness to just explore. On one of these expeditions, John stumbled upon a large circular depression in the ground. It stood out to him because the vegetation around there had died, making making kind of the circle. So he, he kind of described it as like a crop circle, but in the desert, and just the vegetation around it had, had made this perfect circle. Inside this big circle was a smaller circle, which consisted entirely of shoes. Hundreds of shoes forming a circle a hundred yards in circumference. John had taken the keep in a camcorder in his Jeep. He went to grab it, and he started recording. As he was doing this, a large black triangular craft came out of the sky behind him. Something made him go unconscious. And he woke up 55 minutes later. He, he knows it's 55 minutes because the camcorder was still on and had been recording for 55 minutes. He was sunburnt to a crisp and the, cam, and the camcorder had recorded nothing. The constant strange happenings went on for years. And over that time, John had gotten pretty good at predicting when something would go down. Also, after being exposed that one night in his bedroom, the Greys seemed to not have concerned themselves with uh, hiding so much anymore. Like, they would still hide. They just wouldn't kind of, you know, vanish and, and camouflage themselves. He would see them many times over the years, poking their heads out around corners and the like. However, John would soon be bestowed a weapon. A weapon that would help him fight off the Greys. Several years into owning the ranch, uh, John found himself behind a truck filled to the brim with what appeared to be junk, or maybe the thing was moving. Uh, he doesn't really get super into it. As he followed behind it, something knocked itself loose from the rubble and fell to the side of the road. John stopped and grabbed the object. In his hands was a real, genuine samurai sword. He couldn't believe it. He looked up, hoping to flag down the truck, but it was long gone. The sword was now his. John had already been angry with the Greys. One of his favorite horses had been recently mutilated, almost flattened. This had also happened to one of his dogs shortly after buying the ranch. Since he found out that bullets seemed to have no effect on the Greys, perhaps a sword would be a better tool. And in the book, he tells it how he has he shot at the Greys numerous times, and they would you know they just get hit and go tss, hit hiss like a deflating basketball, but they wouldn't go down. He would soon get his chance. Days later, he saw out of the corner of his eye three of the creatures in his sunroom. John had also trained himself to close off his mind so these beings could not read his thoughts. This allowed him to sneak up on the greys and succeed in decapitating one of them. The other two instantly vanished, but the dead one did not. John would store the body, wait, wait for it, of the grey in his freezer. Eventually, he sent off tissue samples to Dr. Levengood, a known crop circle researcher uh, that at the time lived in Michigan. John would get some interesting results. Levengood noted that the blood of the bean consisted of segmented rods. He was also told the skin resembled grass, but was not grass. This is all the information he would receive, however. Soon after, Dr. Levengood would pass away, and the samples and research disappeared. So, um, 
that's a big thing, right? Because I know all of you are out there saying, if this man has an alien head and body in his freezer, why do we not have like photos of this? Why do we not like why this is the smoking gun, you say? Um, and I say that too. So he does kind of say that after a while they just disappear. Um he's in I'll get into it in a minute. But I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say this. Um, there's a lot of thought out there that greys are not an actual organism. They're more like a machine or a biological machine that is just programmed, a robot basically, programmed to do certain tasks. So if they are grass, but not grass, um, maybe they are grown somehow. They're like a biological machine that is grown and is actually uh, like a living, not, well, I guess plants are living, but like a plant of some sort. And perhaps, just like other plants, when they die, it does not take long for them to kind of just shrivel up and go away. Perhaps that's why we just don't have the evidence of this body either way. Or, uh, he doesn't have an alien in his freezer and never did. I don't know. But that's his story, and that's what he says happened. After this, the abductions and brandings would become more prevalent. There is some rather interesting video evidence of Greys appearing in the background of a 2016 interview with John from Project Camelot. And I've linked to that interview in the show notes. It's two hours long, and there's another one that's also two hours long. But um, if you go to, I think it's an hour and 16 minutes and 59 seconds to an hour and 17 minutes and two seconds, uh, he's sitting in a chair. It's your normal, you know... Um, webcam setup he's sitting in his office chair and it's recording behind him and you do see something pop out from around the corner where the door is a couple of times and then goes away and no one kind of saw it at the time uh, I've put a picture in the show notes and I've circled this thing I took a screen cap of it and it could be it is kind of an interesting thing to see but I kind of think it's a dog but he did have dogs he had a bunch of dogs like I said it was like a, he tried to rescue dogs but to my knowledge, he never had dogs in the house. He had kennels and runs for the dogs outside. So, and he doesn't say it was a dog. Um, so I don't know. But it's it's kind of an interesting couple of seconds that you can look over and over again. It also just might be a bad compression and low resolution. I won't bore you with how compression works. So after that, uh, later, it had to have been later in 2016, he actually, the ranch was on an episode of Ghost Adventures, season 12 episode 12 uh, I also have it linked in the show notes where you can go watch it but you know so that all happened in 2016 and they talk about uh, the Project Camelot video in the Ghost Hunters episode that's how I knew about it so they had to have happened pretty close pretty close together um, but that's kind of the only evidence that we get from the ranch he didn't even though he says he documented a lot of things there's not a lot of pictures and stuff but let, let's move on even though John would end up killing six alien greys with a sword, his approach didn't seem to be working. He needed help. Enter Brandy Howe DD. And she was kind of, she's a, like a homeopathic doctor, and, you know, very into new age kind of techniques and stuff like that. Brandy would visit the ranch in 2017, along with two companions. She claimed were actually Syrians from like the Syrian system. 
the trio showed up, complete with more swords, this time with a more medieval variety. Brandy started by cleansing the house of negative energy. She had also discovered a lingering spirit of a boy who had committed suicide at some time in the house. Soon, she narrowed in on those pesky greys and succeeded in opening a portal on the dining room table, I believe, in the house. John observed two different beings come through. One seemed very human, and the other was reptilian. John had a very long, I think he said like four-hour conversation, with these beings. He asked a lot of questions and got some answers, but also many more questions. And if you grab his book, titled Stardust Ranch, link in the show notes, literally the last 50 pages of that book is just the stuff that he had, that he talked about with these beings. Like how his outlook on stuff has changed and some of the questions he asked and some of the answers he got and like that. That is literally like the last 50 pages of that book is what that is. After this, the trio and John went outside. I believe by this time, Joyce had also returned home and she was there. And Brandy began talking to the animals. Uh, this was something that she claimed that she could do and she found out some, some things from them. And then she started doing what she called energy work. Soon, they were met with uh, many clouds in the sky. John watched as these clouds turned into what could only be described as ships. Brandy, along with her two companions, raised their swords into the sky and began speaking in some sort of language with whatever was in these ships. Um, and they talk about how like it was just this guttural and they had it sounded like they were negotiating something with these beings in the sky. After they raised their swords, a bolt of purple lightning struck the ground just feet away from Brandy. And Brandy then told John that he didn't have anything more to worry about. And then they just left. Like, they just hightailed it out of there. Later, Brandy would go on to say that she felt the energy of that strike. It went up through the ground and into her. Later, she said that she had memory loss and was even visited by MIBs. As for her two friends from Sirius, one went into hiding for a little bit and the other one went insane. John put Stardust Ranch up for sale for $1.5 million in 2015. Since then, he has upped it, and the price hit $5 million in 2017, and then dropped to $4 million in 2018. So far, no one has bought the ranch, and that's kind of where it stands right now. As far as I know, uh, I think he took it down. Like I don't think it's for sale, quote-unquote, anymore. It's only valued at like 320 something, but he's trying to, you know, obviously. Um, in the book, the book is kind of, uh, it's an interesting book. It's not badly written for a man who doesn't write books. Uh, he does kind of go some tangents here and there about stuff that isn't, you know, needed in the, isn't necessary to the story. But you get to see how he kind of, how his views over the years change about the whole alien phenomenon and everything from what he's been through. You know, and then there he talks about, I guess Bigelow did try to buy his ranch from him at one point in time, just like, he, just like he bought Skinwalker, but he never quite trusted Bigelow, and Bigelow never met his price. And that's kind of where he is. He's still there on Stardust Ranch. But interesting story. Like I said, even if the alien head in the freezer stuff isn't true, if you take that out, everything else still makes it, like, 
an amazing story you know just a great story to tell um and i you know i feel like there probably is something going on at stardust ranch like a lot of these ranches but that is just one of our crazy ranches let's uh uh get on with it after after the boom here and we will talk about bradshaw ranch in sedona arizona that kind of rhymes doesn't it? i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, uh... I was going to do Bradshaw Ranch because it is kind of the third in the trio of creepy ranches that are well known. Uh, one of the issues was I kept forgetting the name of this ranch. I kept thinking it was called uh, the Brandy Ranch, which does exist, but it appears to be like a place that sells wine. So that's not it. Um, but I did finally figure it out. I did finally remember the name Bradshaw Ranch. And so much so that I didn't even know they had a book about it until I was reading the Stardust Ranch book and they actually mention it. So I grabbed that one really quick. Luckily, it wasn't a long book. Like it's 233 pages. Literally 100 pages of that is pictures. 
um, a lot of pictures. Like, like I said, Stardust Ranch didn't have a lot of documented evidence. Bradshaw Ranch has n almost nothing but documented evidence. And some of it is probably not orbs, it's probably dust. And some of it is maybe a camera, uh, not a lens, but a, like the strap in front of the lens making a weird thing. But I don't think all of it is. Some of it is very interesting. We're going to get into some of them. So I was able to get through that book pretty quickly and get some good, get some good stuff for Bradshaw Ranch in Sedona, Arizona. So let's talk about, let's talk about that. Very, very north of Buckeye is the town of Sedona with a population of 10,335. It is a small town in the middle of the desert. It's most noted for its many appearance in movies and television series as a backdrop for Texas and California, a lot of westerns. However, just like Stardust Ranch and Buckeye, the Bradshaw Ranch boasts its own paranormal activity. The 160-acre ranch was acquired by a Hollywood stuntman named Bob Bradshaw in 1960. In addition to it being a working ranch, the property was also used for many film sets, two TV series, five movies, as well as many commercials were filmed there over the years. And I believe for a long time, it just kind of had like a set, like a set of a town, like a Wild West town on it. Uh, over the years, the Bradshaw family has witnessed odd lights and strangeness throughout the ranch. It wouldn't be until the 1990s, like really early 90s, maybe 1990 itself, when Linda Bradshaw and UFO researcher Tom Dongo would start to investigate and document the phenomenon. Much like Stardust, the more the activity on Bradshaw Ranch was observed, the stranger it got. Linda would start by going out in the ranch's 160 acres and just looking for lights in the sky, and she would find them. One night, she sat in her truck overlooking a canyon when she saw flashing lights coming towards her from a distance. The object made no noise, and it didn't seem to be a plane. The object then started zipping around the sky in ways that no plane could do. The light show was not over yet. Linda then observed what she described as a comet shoot out of the canyon and off into the distant sky. Then, after that, she observed a pulsating oyster-shaped object some just 20 feet away from her. Her husband was a photographer, and he doesn't show up in the story a lot because he, from what I found out, didn't want anything to do with any of this. Like, he, he shares one little UFO experience, and then he's out. Um, in the show notes, I linked to an article. Like, he didn't, he didn't want to deal with it, so it's really, when we talk about this, we're just kind of talking about Linda and her son. But he was a photographer, and so she knew her way around her camera. She knew how to take photos. However, when she dropped the film off to be developed, there were no images. But what happened next, and its photographic evidence, is quite interesting. Days later, Linda went out walking around the ranch with when a bright, square light appeared in front of her. It looked almost like a TV screen. Sadly, she didn't have her camera with her. But a couple of days later, a couple of nights later rather, she returned to that same spot with camera in hand. The rectangle of light appeared again, and Linda was able to take two shots before it disappeared. This time, she did get viable photos back, 
and what she saw astounded her. There was a scene inside the rectangle. It showed a series of pyramids in the background, a UFO in the sky, and at the bottom, something that looked like a telephone pole. Uh, but there's no telephone poles within a mile of where the photo was taken. They also say it might be a ship's mast. Also, in one of the pictures, there appears to be some sort of humanoid figure, and that might just be pareidolia, but it's interesting the less, so I want to talk about this a little bit. Here's the thing. There are photos in the book of this thing. Um, the book went through three editions, so there's black and white photos of it and color photos of it. I'm not going to reprint them because I couldn't find them on the internet, so I didn't feel safe. Like, I'm not going to scan, like, copyrighted material and stuff. So if you buy... I, the, I'm going to say this. The book is kind of written in a... It's not the best written book in the world. They, writers, Linda and Tom, are not. But they do get the story across, and that book is worth it for the pictures alone. And when I first... So when you look at this, it does. It looks like a TV screen. It looks like a black and white fuzzy TV screen. You see a UFO in the middle. And if you squint, you can see these kind of pyramid-y things in the background that also look like, might be like triangle UFOs. And then you see what looks like, it does, it looks either like a ship's mast or a telephone pole. And then, I mean, and both, she took two pictures and they're both very similar. Like really the only difference is, uh, I don't think you see as many pyramid shapes in the background as you do in the other one. But it does look like a TV screen. It looks a lot like a TV screen. It's distorted a little bit, you know, like it's kind of concave on one end and convex on the other. So when I first started looking at this picture, I was like, this is just a picture of the reflection of an old CRT TV or an old CRT monitor in a window. But then I sit there and I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, it's a straight on photo of that. So in order for that to be taken, someone had to stand in front of that reflection to get it, which means they would block it out. Unless, I don't know if you could take it from the other side of the window or not. And then I'm like, could it have been done? Could it be a picture that's taken in a mirror that's a reflection? So is it a reflection of a reflection? I don't know. So now, I when I first saw that picture, I'm like, this is horseshit. But the more I looked at it, I'm, I'm kind of on the telephone pole about it. I don't know. I could be tipped either way. If anyone has the book or gets the book and takes a look at that picture and could be like, oh yeah, this is totally like early Photoshop. Photoshop existed in the 90s. I think it came out in like the late 80s. But I don't think I could do this back then. And Or if you have another way of, of like just letting me know like, hey, this is what I think. Take a look at this picture because I'm very complex by it. And get on me at Twitter at STScast or on Facebook at STScast. And let me know. But buy the book. Because I'm not going to put pictures on the internet of it. But let's, let's go on. Linda would not be the only one to see odd things around the ranch. Her son, Victor, uh, was once over at a friend's house on the other side of the ranch. So sometimes these ranches are big enough where they will have, you know, they've got, they've got other properties on the ranch that used to be for ranch hands or whatever. Now they just kind of rent them out. So I think that is what is going on here. Victor, his friend, and her daughter all observed a craft land outside outside of their window and watched as four greys got out of the craft. The three wasted no time in hightailing it to the main house of the ranch. 
Victor woke up Linda and told her what had happened. It didn't take long for the Greys to show up at Linda's home, but when Linda went out to confront them, the beans in the craft vanished. The next day, all four went out to, went out to investigate. They found several three-toed tracks in the dirt. Victor saw something else. He was using his camcorder, like he would become the guy that videotaped everything. And he was looking through the viewfinder. He could see pigs in the distance. Domesticated pigs. Uh, so I think there are some wild pigs out there, but these were domesticated pigs. The odd thing was, Linda could not see them. She couldn't see them unless she also looked through the viewfinder. Victor, armed with this new tactic of using the viewfinder to see what could not be seen, ventured into a wash. And a wash is like an arroyo. It's like a it's like a dry creek bed that occasionally gets wet and then dries out. And then it'll get, you know, like when it rains, it'll fill up and then it'll dry out again. Victor then yelled out that there was a dinosaur in the wash. Linda got to where her son was just in time to see a tail disappear behind some brush. Could this have been a dinosaur? Or perhaps was it a reptilian? Greys, dinosaurs, and pigs were not the only wildlife tromping around the Bradshaw Ranch. Over the years, Linda would befriend a female Bigfoot she dubbed Big Girl. Linda said that Big Girl was an all-white Bigfoot, as both her and her son had seen it on several occasions, and also they would find the hair and they just knew it was white. Linda would leave out small offerings for Big Girl, and in return, Big Girl would leave small presents for her, or drawings in the sand. Linda had even seen the Bigfoot consoling a pregnant horse in the corral once. This female Bigfoot at one point also seemed to be pregnant. In later years, they would find smaller Bigfoot tracks and a strawberry blonde hair, so that they kind of surmised that there was a young Bigfoot also tromping around. One day, Victor would go on a hike out in the vast areas of the ranch and would go missing. The hike was supposed to be a short couple of hours, and Victor didn't take a lot of water. Um, so, like, they're out in the desert, and if you're going to go on a long hike, you need to have, like, liters upon liters of water. And he didn't take that much, so he wasn't going to be gone for that long. Victor would be gone for well over 12 hours. I think in the book it says that he left at, like, 7 or 8 a.m., and he would be missing for all day until, like, 3 in the morning until he finally was able to call someone. When he did finally find a payphone... He called his mom from the town of Cottonwood. Cottonwood is 17 miles south of the ranch. At the time, Victor didn't remember much of what happened. He had gotten disoriented and lost, and lost, but kept trekking on. Uh, he came across a man who he said he didn't entirely trust. That the guy was trying to warn him, like, you're not going to make it, dude. You should just stay here. But there was something off about the guy, and he just kept going. But he finally made it to a phone, and he called for help. But later, under a hypnotic regression, Victor would reveal that he had been taken by aliens before being released near Cottonwood. And in the book, uh, they have a transcription of his regression, and he's just—it's—it's you know, it's the kind of the normal abduction fare. He was taken, and they told him some stuff, and had him for a little while, and then just kind of dropped him off wherever they felt like. Very, very similar. Like he was dropped off. Your Cottonwood, kind of near a uh, near telephone, very much like um, uh, Travis Walton did. You know, he woke up right by a telephone telephone booth as well. 
It would seem that after this incident, word started to get around about the Bradshaw Ranch. The Bradshaws started to notice black helicopters flying low over their property and other unmarked government vehicles driving around. In fact, one of Victor's treks into a nearby canyon he came across was seen to be some sort of government site. And I, I, it had to, if it existed, it had to have been like a temporary site. Because if you kind of look around Google Maps, you don't really see anything unless it's camouflage or something. But he said everything was white. So I'm assuming, like when I picture this, I picture that scene in the X-Files movie with the cornfield. That's what I said, but just without the cornfield. I digress. White SUVs and a white semi-truck were crowded around the building. The semi had some sort of wingless craft on its trailer, and walking around it were five men, also dressed in white. Victor brought out his trusty camcorder and began filming. He was taping when he felt something behind him. It was a small, gray alien peeking at him from behind some bushes. He turned the camera on it. As he did this, a plane flew low overhead, perhaps doing its own reconnaissance on him, and this caused him to leave the area, and he would see that plane occasionally. So this is the other kind of issue I have with this story is they have all these pictures, a hundred and some pictures, and apparently Victor took all of this film of, you know, phantom pigs and a dinosaur and a gray alien and all of this stuff, but there's no stills or any of that footage that he has. And the book, they don't say anything about it, anything happening to that footage. Like, they get into how, like, uh, Victor and, I guess, some of his other brothers that aren't really in the story a whole lot were harassed by people, presumably from the government or kind of men in black type of people. But they never say that any of this footage was confiscated or that it didn't come out. So, I don't know. I just, I would love to see stills from that, from those, or, you know, see that stuff up on YouTube. And they don't really address it. I wish they kind of would, and that's kind of the only thing I I have an issue with with this story. But, yeah. Tom Dongo would later claim to have found three major portals in the area, and a many smaller ones around there and around the ranch. He also said that one of the three major ones had been destroyed. On July 29, 1994, a fire broke out on top of Secret Mountain, which was a nearby mountain that was known for strange activity. The fire was allowed to burn for days, and not much was done to stop it. After the fire, most, if not all, the paranormal activity observed on the mountain ceased. And I think it's made a little bit of a re resurgence, but not anything like it used to be. Before a decade, Tom Dongo, Linda, and her son documented all the strange things on or around the ranch. They saw strange lights, UFOs, Bigfoot, and the military, unknown creatures, and even aliens. But what about people? People that were not there. There are several photos of people that Tom and Linda say were not present when they were taken. One in particular is known as the Blue Man. It's a blurry photo of the side of a man's face. He seems to have a blue tinge to his hair, as well as an ear that seems to either be fake or very different from our own. Allegedly, this man was not with them at the time and only showed up after the picture was developed. And I do have this picture in the show notes because it's made the rounds on the internet. A lot of people have seen it. 
and they 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 post that picture. Uh, there's another picture in the book that just looks like the top of somebody's uh, bald head with a little bit of crazy hair on it. And there's another one that's actually really creepy because it's 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 zoomed up really close, and it, you know you can tell they took it far away, and the flash didn't reach. And you see like green eyes and a weird weird kind of face. But they keep saying that like you know they say these people these people are they're from another dimension or something because they are not here. They were not here when we took these pictures. But once again, I have a little bit of an issue with that because at, in the end of the day, this is just a picture of a guy. He has a blue tinge to his hair, maybe because of the flash. It's a blurry photo. You can't tell how if his ear looks normal or not. I don't get it. Um, you know, but once all we have is their word to say this guy wasn't here. Like once again, I wish there was some video evidence taken of them taking these photos to back up that this guy wasn't with them. But you have to, you know, it's just kind of like the samurai sword thing. Even if the people that they're talking about aren't real, because they could just very easily just be pictures of people, all the other stuff, you know, is still kind of fascinating. But once again, you got to have that little grain of salt with you. After a decade of sightings and stories, it would all come sort of to an end in, in the year 2000. The Bradshaw Ranch was bought for $3.5 million and was handed over to the National Forest Service to be part of the uh, Coconino National Forest. However, after this happened, it would be reported that the ranch was fenced off and that there were even armed guards posted. It now seems that the ranch, or at least a portion of it, has been given over to the University of Northern Arizona for climate change research. Now, is that true? Or is it all a cover? Because they, the, everyone was kind of like, that's really mysterious that that the Congress would buy up this ranch. And But I'm like, but I'm sitting here thinking, well, isn't that how all national parks kind of come? Doesn't Congress have to go, hey, we want to buy that and make it part of our park? But, but then when you add in the fact that they kind of closed that portion off and armed guards kind of showed up, it makes you think, what's going on? And then they, did they give it over to to the college do they really do it or is that just cover because you can so like to this day the ranch and the buildings they're still there uh, but they're abandoned they're no longer maintained and uh, there are still some reports of activity at the ranch but I've linked in the show notes there's a guy that does like a has a nice little uh, drone fly over of the area where so you get the, you get a great layout of the ranch itself where some stuff happened and what it looked like so and I, you know, in the book, there's all these reports of people just kind of like, we're going to the ranch, we're going to hop the fence. So it's not like locked down. Like, it's not like Area 51 locked down anymore. But, and I don't know if you can get to it, like if you go into the National Forest there and hike into it, if you can get to it that way or not. But that's kind of where the story of Bradshaw Ranch is right now. Owned by the government. Or by a college. Or both. Or neither. Both of these ranches are indeed strange places, but it seems Arizona is just a strange place all around. It's a place I would very much like to visit. And that is uh, Bradshaw Ranch and Stardust Ranch. We're going to take a break here with brand new track. It is called Hollow, and we're going to come back with the local headlines and your small town secret and uh, finish up after that we'll finish up this first episode so i hope you enjoy this one i really had fun making this one it came out really quick i've got like three or four 
songs just kind of floating around on this one just and then was done in like a couple of hours really happy with it really simple but but came out really well so i'll stop tooting my own horn and i'll be back in a little bit
All right. And the first news story is from Santa Fe. I'm cheating a little bit because there's no way Santa Fe is small enough to be a small town. But it's such a big story that I wanted to talk about it. And this is from the Santa Fe New Mexican. This is by Daniel Prokop. Uh, he contributed to the article, it says. And Forrest Finn confirms his treasure has been found. The search for the treasure might be over, but the fight sure isn't. Forrest Finn, an 89-year-old Santa Fe author and artifacts dealer, said his treasure chest, hidden in the Rocky Mountains in 2010, was found last week. It's true, Fenn told the New Mexican in a phone call Sunday, adding that the finder of his chest located the valuable goods a few days ago. Fenn wouldn't say where the treasure was found or who found it. The guy who found it does not want his name mentioned. He's from back east, he said, adding that he was confirmed that it was confirmed from a photograph the man sent him. Fenn declined to produce the photograph Sunday. An estimated 350,000 people have hunted for Fenn's treasure. Some quit their jobs to do so. But it's had deadly consequences. At least five people have died while searching for the chest. Barbara Anderson, a Chicago real estate attorney, said she is filing an injunction in federal district court alleging she solved the puzzle but was hacked by someone else she doesn't know. He stole my solve, she said in an interview. He followed and cheated me to get the chest. Anderson, who has been licensed to practice law in Illinois since 1998, is representing herself. In the injunction, she seeks to stop an unknown defendant from selling booty from the treasure chest. She is also asking the court to give the chest to her. And that's not the only court case involving Fenn's treasure. In December, David Harold Hansen of Colorado Springs, Colorado, which I, I was there not too long ago, sued Fenn for $1.5 million, claiming he has deprived him of the treasure through fraudulent statements and misleading clues. A judge threw out the case in February, citing mishandled procedure for serving Fenn with the lawsuit. The last week, Hansen petitioned the court to reopen the case. Hansen could not be reached for comment. Uh, one treasure hunter asking Fenn to, to court was skeptical of his timing. Brian, is it Erskine? Brian Erskine of Prescott, Arizona, said, said in his complaint filed in U.S. District Court that he had solved the quest. I love how they all have terms. I have solved the quest. He stole my solve. I don't, I don't know. It makes me chickle. Erskine said that the site in question is in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, between the towns of Silverton and Oray, and accessible by US 550, also known as the Million Dollar Highway. He just got he just got served with my lawsuit, and now we have this press release, he said in an interview Sunday. Among other arguments for his case, Erskine says abandoning a chest of valuables in the wild, as Finn says he has done, means he couldn't give title, as Finn writes in his memoir, The Thrill of the Chase. Erskine said he's confident his lawsuit will proceed, and still others believe the treasure never existed, or had already been given away. I think his announcement is at least a few years and a few lives too late, but he has to live with that. I believe that this was much earlier, that this was over much earlier than today, said treasure hunter Seth Wallach. I think 2019 is the year he said was his last due to do any interviews about the treasure, which I interpret as he lost interest because 
the hunt was no longer. Wallach added, in 2020, he said the treasure was found, but doesn't reveal any details so his narrative can't be questioned. But people are questioned all over the place, so it can't be questioned. Saying he wanted others to take part in the old-fashioned adventure, Finn published clues online and a 24-line poem published in his memoir. In 2017, he told the New Mexica, the New Mexican, the chest weighed 20 pounds and its contents weighed over 22 pounds. He said he delivered the chest to its hiding place over two trips by himself. Asked how he felt Sunday, Finn said, it's uh, been quite the decade. I don't know. I feel halfway kind of glad, halfway kind of sad because the chase is over, Finn said. And if you don't know about that, it's been around. People have been talking about it for well, a decade. Um, BuzzFeed Unsolved, those guys did a really fun, informative episode. They went looking for it. So go check that out. Maybe I should put that in the show notes. But that's a good one. That's a, you know, I just, I've always kind of liked that treasure hunting story. Um, you know, I don't know if it's, if it was ever real or if someone's found it or what. But also if, if someone just found, I don't know how much money worth of treasure, like, I feel like Finn would probably try to keep it anonymous for a little bit. You know, it's just like when someone wins the lottery and they don't want to be, they don't want to be named. But let's move on to the next one that just I'm just doing because it is kind of weird and uh, it made me chuckle. So it's either amazingly hilarious or it's just it, kind of terrifying in a way. Belgian man has been receiving pizzas he's never ordered for years. This is from uh, the Brussels Times. I don't see a writer on it, but here we go. A 65-year-old man in Flanders says he is losing sleep because he has been receiving pizzas he never ordered for nearly a decade. So as long as Finn's treasure has been out, this man has been receiving a treasure of pizza. Uh, sometimes he gets them several times a day. Over the past nine years, pizzas he never asked for have been delivered Jean van Legenholm, I think, his house in Turnhout in the Antwerp province. It started nine years ago, van Legenholm told uh, a new source that I cannot say, because I cannot pronounce it. Suddenly, a pizza delivery man handed me a whole load of pizzas, but I hadn't ordered anything, he added. At first, he thought it was a simple mistake in the delivery address, but orders of pizzas, kebabs, pitas, and other food that he never ordered kept flowing in. It could be on a weekday, or during weekends, or at any time of the day. The orders come from delivery services in turnout, but also from the surrounding area. So not from the same place. They come from all over. I have even had orders delivered at like 2 a.m., Van Lingenholm said. I cannot sleep anymore. I start shaking every time I hear a scooter on the street. I dread that someone will come to drop off hot pizzas yet another time, he added. One day in January 2019, Van Lingenholm said... Ten different deliverymen showed up at his house, one of which had 14 pizzas with him. I have always refused the deliveries, so I have never paid for anything, he said, adding that the harassment is not only annoying for him, but also for the restaurants. It costs them money, and they have to throw the food away. Uh, that noise, everyone, is my cat running into the office and then turning around and running out for some unknown reason. I'm going to leave it in. One day, the 10 deliveries showed up. On the day the 10 deliveries showed up, I did the math. It cost 
450 whatever uh, Belgium uses. I don't know if that's euros. I think it's euros. Van, Ling Van Lingenholm said. I only buy frozen pizzas from uh, Kuhlreit or Aldi. Yes, Aldi is a German company. I have never asked for them to be delivered to my house, he added. A friend of mine who lives in a Heathenholt is going through exactly the same thing as I am. She has been receiving pizza she has not ordered for nine years, too, Van Lingenholm said. Sometimes we both get them on the same day. When that happens, we warn each other to expect a delivery, he said, adding that it is likely someone they both know. Seems, seems logical. He reported the false deliveries to the police several times. He said, but he was, still has no idea whom the person harassing him is. I cannot take it anymore. When I find out whomever has been bothering me for the last nine years, it will not be their best day. And I feel like, and maybe this is a cultural thing, but I've delivered my fair share of pizza. Um, after this would happen, if we had something like this happen all occasionally, we would just stop going to that address. Like, we'd just be like, nah, you're done, you're blacklisted. So I don't know why, I mean, if he doesn't want them, and he only eats frozen food, he's not going to be adding, like, I'd just be like, hey, <laughs> blackmail, just blacklist my address, I don't want it. Um, oh, hold on, gotta let the uh, page reload here. The last one is just a good old UFO sighting uh, from the Daily Star at dailystar.co.uk. Bear with me. This is uh, I'm trying to get it to go through read review and it's not working, so I got to read it with all the ads and junk on it, and it's not being very friendly. But this is by Tiffany Lowe. Strange red lights filmed hovering over New Jersey in triangular formation. An amateur stargazer has captured three mysterious red lights hovering over the night sky in New Jersey. The U.S. I guess they pointed that out. Video shared by Reddit user Nooch1020. Oh, oh, he's a Kevin Smith fan. Captures the unidentified flying objects floating above a car park parked behind a tree line. One red light appears to be leading two others towards the light before they slowly move in a triangular formation. Then they disappear behind the tree foliage into the dark. Nooch1020 and his girlfriend Brianna encounter the strange phenomenon outside their home in Winslow Township, South New Jersey, on May, for May 31st. Speaking exclusively to Daily Star Online, he explained that Brianna is, set, is obsessed with looking at the stars and picking out which stars are planets and which ones are actual stars. I'm going to scroll down a little bit, going to find this article. He said she noticed it while using the app to check out which stars are which. It was just flying across the air, but like nothing she had ever seen in person. Just on the videos online. The triangle shape is pretty common, we noticed. It didn't, it didn't break a perfect triangle, though, so it's hard to believe it was lanterns. It just seemed to be gliding effortlessly through the sky. Over the past several months, similar videos of red lights moving and apparent triangular formation have been emerging across the U.S. Gonna scroll down for some more. There's a lot of videos on here you can take a look at, a lot of pictures. The uploader said the largest sighting lasted about two minutes before it disappeared into the night sky. Brianna also replied to one comment and described the lights as amber-colored. They appear to be much larger than the cameras picking up, she added. It looked to me like a triangle. The video has been upvoted hundreds of times on Reddit, uh, since being posted earlier this week. One viewer said he has witnessed a similar sighting at the same location, saying it was pretty much directly over the road moving toward Philly. It moved directly over me, going the exact opposite direction as me. The second viewer claimed he had seen the craft 
with his dad in the neighboring town of Hatton. Some believed it was military testing in the area, and others guessed it could be Chinese lanterns. Triangles are just the stealth military aircraft to me, one suggested, which we don't really use a whole lot anymore. Another wrote, Chinese lanterns tied it by string in a V formation? My friends have tried that in the past, and the results look very similar, especially on a clear summer night with a light wind slash breeze. As, as well as Chinese lanterns being a possible explanation, drones have also been used to explain sightings of similar red lights in the past. Conspiracy theorists have previously speculated the triangle objects to be a TR-3B spy plane. The TR-3 Black Manta is the name of a surveillance plane of the United States Air Force, speculated to have been developed under a black project. It is said to be a supersonic stealth spy plane with a triangular design. Well, I stand corrected. I guess we still are using some triangle designs, but that is that one. There are some pictures on there. There's some video on there. Uh... I'll link it in the show notes. Go at your own risk that there's so many ads on this website that um, you probably won't get any of these videos to play. And I'm not even going to try. But that has been this episode's local headlines. And after the boom, we will be back with your small town secrets. So tonight, for uh, your small town secret, I have a little interview about 20 minutes long or so. One I've been trying to get, we've been trying to do for a while. Uh, I had some issues. Uh, her closet fell apart, and she, <laughs> I couldn't do it the one night because I had to come through and like repair all of her stuff. Uh, but we finally got off the ground. We're going to talk with Amy. She now lives in Chicago. She used to live in New Carlisle, Ohio, which is about a 10-minute drive from here. Um, so it does get a little gossipy because we both know the town a lot, but it's just, it's kind of an interesting because we don't do stuff like this on, on this show a lot. We don't really talk about, uh, like school corruption and, and just kind of crazy crimes and stuff like that, that happens in small towns. And that's kind of what we get into with this. Uh, New Carlisle also has, uh, the, I guess the honor of being the, the town where the, f the first bank that John, uh, John Dillinger robbed. It's there. I like it because it has a Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken, which is superior to KFC, and I will die on this hill. But this is the interview. Uh, like I said, it's about 20 minutes. Um, there's some language, but, you know, that's why I got the explicit button I can click. Uh, so take a listen, um, and we'll come back with uh, the end of the episode here. So... This is us and this is us. This is me and Amy talking about New Carlisle. About New Carlisle, right? Yeah. And I think we had we had we had thought about the bank, which because you have to talk about the bank, right? Like, yeah, I don't really know much about the bank. Neither, neither yeah. do I. What, all, I know look it up. Is, what? all I know is. John Dillinger robbed his first bank in New Carlisle, Ohio. Right. I want to look it up real quick. Watch him. Watch him trying to be like an urban myth, and it didn't actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I don't know. Let me think about how to start this. So we're going to talk about that. You had some. So do you know? Because you went to school with some people that had like the whole superintendent thing, and 
you knew the reporter that was or the photographer that was shot. Correct? Yeah, I, I among other not, things. Yeah, among other things, I also went. There was also the uh, guidance counselor that um, got freaky with uh, one of the students at the high school, and I went to school with the guidance counselor. Her oh, husband, wow, okay. And <laughs> the kid that she messed around with, I went to high school with both of his parents. Parents, wow. Yeah. So tell me about like so what was the whole what was the what was the photographer's deal? What did he So the photographer um ran the New Carlisle Sun newspaper in New Carlisle. Okay. And he was covering a story and it was raining out so the visibility was a little messed. Uh, but he pulled out his camera and the officer thought his camera was a gun and shot him. Which sadly is not like a story I haven't heard before. You know, like, um, like what and was it? Yeah, was he okay? Like, where did he get shot at? Like, uh, he got he got shot like in the chest and like, like the shot, stomach. shot. But mm. so like he actually got like shot, not like. Yeah, he actually yeah, got wow. shot, and you know, it turned. Come to find out, uh, the officer wasn't even you know properly trained. Oh no! You don't say. No, I, I mean, I, and they had also, he settled with um, the county because it's actually the sheriff that runs the law enforcement in New Carlisle, Ohio. Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't think New Carlisle has its own. Yeah, they don't have their own, own. Yeah. but I mean, he still struggles with PTSD, um, mm. literally harassed his newspaper out of business. I was going to say, because I didn't even know that there was a New Carlisle, like a, a newspaper out of New Carlisle. Yeah, there's no, so, there's no, there's, there was. Right. Huh. And they literally, you know, he not only, he also had to leave Clark County. He moved to Champaign County just mm. for the safety of his family because they were giving him so much shit. And he's, I mean, if you go, I don't know if his Facebook is public. But if you go to his Facebook, he frequently posts screen caps <laughs> of conversations that the sheriff would have about harassing him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So he went. So he was covering a story, or was he just like? He was. He was covering a. I believe it was either a traffic stop or an accident. He just drove upon it. And was like, oh, this might be a news story. You yeah, know? yeah. Because it is a very small town, so I guess if you you probably do have to do some do some digging every once in a while for stories. Yeah. <laughs> stories yeah. out there. Oh, he was he was out taking um photographs of lightning. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, storm. And okay. he saw a police stop in progress, so he stopped take pictures for the paper and then that's when it all went down okay so when 
when was this? Was this like a while ago? This was 2017. Oh, wow. That recently, huh? Yeah. It was huh. 2017. Um, I think he settled last year. But the paper had been in business like for like 10 Forever, years. Forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even know about it. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So what else did we have on here? So that was so I'm glad that he's he's all right. I'm glad that he yeah. got something out of it at least. And yeah, uh, I mean he they there's still like you know people still talk about it in New Carlisle. I actually this past week just got kicked out of the main New Carlisle um, I saw that. Facebook group <laughs> for pointing out their racism. Yeah, I saw you. I saw that on, on something on Twitter, probably. Yeah. Yep. So, um, it's still very much New Carlisle. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you also, let me just go through here. I know we kind of said we were talking about this and that, but you also mentioned something about. I'm trying not to get like too gossipy about it, you know, but like, yeah. um, <laughs> but sometimes it's kind of hard. But it's New Carlisle, so yeah. it's like, okay. What else were we talking about? What was the, yeah, you just say something about the neighborhood, the friendly neighborhood Nazi, which seems seems well, kind of poignant right now too. The New York Times. That's right. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was in the New York Times. Wow. So New York Times did a story, and I think the title of it was "Your Friendly Neighborhood Nazi." Hmm. That was like a big national thing. Yeah. I bet I couldn't. Yeah, oh. I think, and he lived in New Carlisle. <laughs> and he worked, I believe, at the 571 Grill. I know that they got him fired afterwards. Right, because I, I, I know that it is no longer called that, too. I think someone... No, it's still called the 571. It, I thought it was like yeah. a bar, like a draft house now or something. Yeah, it's... Oh. Yeah, but he he's... Supposedly he... Well, it's called the 5... They call it the 571 Grill and Draft House now. Because, oh, okay. That's yeah. what it is. They just added the and draft house. But, you know, if you're from New Carlisle, you just call it the 571 Grill. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, supposedly he's moved. Hmm. So, and I haven't seen any discussion of him living in the area in those face Facebook groups. I mean, there are two. I'm still in the one, but it's not as populous as the other. Yeah. Um, just because the one I'm in now is pretty much no holds barred. <laughs> like you, right. you better you better have a thick skin if you're in that one. Mm. Yeah. Well, to I'm, gonna write, I'm gonna write that down because I well, maybe I can find if it's a New York Times article, I might be able to find it at newspapers.com and dig more up about it, put it on the oh. put in the show notes and stuff. Oh, Hopefully. I mean you can it's called, um, the title of it is called um, A Voice of Hate in America's Heartland. So people getting shot, 
banks being robbed i do have a thing on here because it is like the big thing i think is dillinger around here all the time because that's supposedly the first bank i even stopped to take a picture of it uh last time i went through went through new carlisle so i've got a picture of the bank somewhere well, if you uh, go through, when you are through New Carlisle, do stop at the Arrow Queen because uh, it is owned by my friend from high school. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like the, I know what you're talking about, like at the one, it's like a, at the other end of town there by the car dealership, right? It's at the north end over yeah, by, the, yeah. Yeah, by the DMV. Right. Yep. And it, it's run by my friend from, like, literally, like the one, one or two. You know, I had like one or two friends in high school because I was like <laughs> super, super bullied at Tecumseh. And um, yeah, he, you know, he, he runs it. I usually go at least once a summer and hang out. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen this summer with COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he, he is open. There it is. Yep. I'll have to do that because usually when I go through, it's coming back back to cast down so i'm usually on 235 so i usually go like right past it whenever i'm in town i'll have yeah. to remember the stuff so what else were we going to talk so what was all right so go in go into the the heavy dirt on your on your uh, <laughs> the, the heavy your, dirt your, uh, your, do uh, you want the, friend. do you want the hot for cheat teacher or do you want the uh superintendent gambling I think yeah, let's do that. I, that's super because we don't really talk about a lot of kind of corruption stuff on the show. Kind yeah. of interests me about that. So what? What do you know about what do you know about this skeezy superintendent for the school, right? So a school superintendent. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, it was. So here's the deal. I went to. I went to high school with him. Okay. okay. And. Uh, can I can I say his name? I mean, it is public record. <laughs> um, if I don't know, if you want to, just use his first name. Okay. So, <laughs> so I did case. go. To, I did go to school with Brad. Um, he was a jerk in high school. Um, who, you know, and this this leads into probably why he may have done what he did because he didn't hear no growing up. Um, he was actually one of the bullies that bullied the crap out of me at Tecumseh High School. Um, he slammed my hand in a locker and almost broke it. Mm -hmm. Um, it was super bruised for, like, at least a week or two. But, um, and the worst part is it was my racket hand because they played tennis. Um, but he not only stole from the school district... But he was also going to casinos on work time at, with the money mm. they stole from the district. Huh. How do you even, like, how do you, how do you even set that up? Like, <laughs> where do you say you're going, you know? He huh. was saying that he was going to, like, like educational events or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, he would, you know, be like, oh, I'm going to this, uh, you know, this uh, seminar or something. And he wasn't. He wasn't going to seminars or anything. He falsified um, 
like mileage reports and So do yeah. you know how long? I mean, how long did that did he get away with all that? Was it? I have no idea how he how long he got away with it. Huh. But I mean, if you Google like Tecumseh Superintendent Brad and then his last name, which we can talk about off camera. Um, okay. It's yeah, I'll like, see if I can find the articles and I can link them at least. Yeah, it everything that came up, but I was like, when he got caught, I was like, I'm not surprised. He was a jerk in high school. He never got told no. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold on. But yeah, I'll have to look. Yeah, we'll get off here. Um, so let's see. That was kind of, anything. Anything else? Like, I mean, we didn't really talk about the whole sex scandal. I guess you could mention if you wanted to, real quick. Um. But. Yeah, that was that was like the big one, and that was like what? about eight years ago. Um. So the guidance counselor at the school. Uh, was married. They had. I'd gone to high school with her. She was she was super bully. Uh, she married the guy she was date had dated in high school, and now he, so he was the guidance counselor. And I feel like this is like one of these ones where you need an actual scorecard. So <laughs> she's the guidance counselor. He was the basketball coach. They had been dating since high school. They are married. They have kids. Their daughter just graduated this past year. Um, but, um, and that comes into play later. Um, and then, so she hooked up with one of the boys that he was coaching on the basketball team. And I believe the boy was like 15 at the time. And she was about late 30s, maybe 40. Mm. And the boy that she hooked up with I also went to high school with his dad and his mom. So, like, mm. all the parents involved all went to high school together. Like, we're looking at, like, I think the one of them graduated in 90. One of us graduated in, like, 91. The rest graduated in, like, 93. So, we all went to high school together. And now she's diddling one of the kids yeah. um and i think she ended up getting like six months house arrest and losing ah. teaching license and she wasn't supposed to be around the school and then turns to find out she's at school events and they're like oh it's okay because she has a kid at the school and i was like anybody else they would have been, oh, hell no, that's a that's a yeah, violation. Yeah. But it's the whole thing of, you know, the families that have been through, like her her dad was on the school board when she was mm -hmm. in high school. You know, it's, it's the culture of New Carlisle where it's like, okay, um, 
graduate to CAMSA, go get your teaching degree or whatever, come back and da 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 work, work your way up the ladder like your parents did. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, it, it was just shocking that she literally got a slap on the wrist. Um, she still shows up to school functions, even though she's not technically supposed to. Right. And I'm like, the fudge? <laughs> Like, I'm giving like confused Britney Spears face on that if you've ever mm -hmm. seen the meme. I'm I know like, you're yeah. What? I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show that it I mean, that stuff is everywhere. Like New Carlisle is not that big at all. Like Yeah. <laughs> you know shocking about all this is New Carlisle's so small, yet it's every couple years, boom. I mean there's also Something happens, yeah, because we talked about uh, the the elevator, and for people who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about an elevator. I'm talking about a grain elevator that holds yeah. grain blowing up <laughs> a couple years ago and literally shut down 571 for I don't know how many weeks while they cleaned it all up. I don't even remember what happened. Was it struck by... I don't even remember how it went. Because I think yeah. at the time I was living down in Wilmington when it happened. Someone just told me about it. You know, yeah, you're right. It seems like every couple of years, some weird, strange story comes out of, comes out around that area. There's also, and this was when Nancy Grace was still on CNN. Mm, that's right, yeah. There's also the case of this guy I went to high school with, <laughs> uh, ended up on Nancy Grace. Now, granted, it was because he was dead, but the reason he was dead is because he was beating the crap out of his wife. And this was big news over in Columbus. She was a teacher or something. And um, she ran him over. And <laughs> there was a big outcry of everything. But then they released the 911, where you actually hear him breaking her arm. Mm. And it's like 15 minutes of their 14-year-old daughter just screaming to like get the get the cops there or whatever. And then they get they somehow get away from him and they get in the car and then he jumps on the car. And then she hit the gas she hit the gas or she hit the brakes and then hit the gas. Oh, that sounds then, vaguely familiar. And yeah. then ran him over. And then Nancy Grace helped her get the charges dropped and everything. Ah, yeah, I think I vaguely remember hearing about that. I don't know, oh, yeah, yeah I'll look that one up too. Just linkable. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's probably linkable too. <laughs> yeah, if, if she's connected to it, you should be able to find but it somewhere. But here was the thing, and this was, um, this is the uh, thing here. Um, everybody when he died was on Facebook like. Oh my God, I can't believe that what happened to da 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 da. I can't. It's so sad. It's so tragic. He was so young. And then I was, that me, I mean, you, you've seen my tweets. I mm -hmm. bust in on Facebook, uh, being like, and then people would be like, oh, what happened? They were like, oh, he just had a tragic accident. And I, me, I bust in. I was like, ain't no tragic accident. He was beating the shit out of his wife and he got the fuck run over. <laughs> 
And it's just like the thread just dies. Yeah, just killed it. Yeah. Because they were all trying to skate around it. And then I come in like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Because, again, that's the whole, I love where I'm from. But the whole culture is like, let's just tiptoe around it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, instead of owning the messiness. Right. Well, yeah. that, I mean, that is the, the, the odd town of New Carlisle, I suppose. And there we go. That is a wrap on episode one of season four. And it did turn out to be. It's a big episode. I guess if I say that at the end, then I'll know it's a big episode or not. But that was New Carlisle. It's just a weird little place where every couple of years, some sort of news story come out, comes out of it and makes headlines. Um, I do want to say something about the... Oh, I didn't mention about how the, the corn bin, the elevator storage been for uh, corn blew up a few years ago and basically flooded 571 and no one could use it for a couple days if there is anyone out there that listened to my first podcast Dark Remnants where I told scary stories that I wrote I did it before I did this one I did one about a woman who lives in a town a little town and they all kind of worship this creature and sacrifice their children to it and in return, it will give them, like, good crops for the year. But she was supposed to go to it when she was, like, a kid. And somehow she got away. And ever since then, the town has kind of died. So she decides when she's older to go back and, like, face this thing. Anyway, it lives under the grain elevator. And she goes and she finds it and she kills it. And when she kills it, it releases this massive amount of energy. And it blows up the elevator and all this corn comes down. That's where I kind of got that idea for the ending of that story. Rather be a good story or a bad story. Um, it was was from that. was from that uh, New Carlisle story. But just just a place where every once in a while a story will come out and it'll be in the New York Times or it'll be on some true crime show or something. It has a lot of history. It has a lot of weirds going on. And it's right up the road. And once again, has a has a least famous recipe chicken in it. But that's the show. If you have... A small town secret that you would like to share, like Amy. Uh, lots of ways to give it to me. Get on uh, social media. Uh, Twitter is where I'm most active. That is at STScast. Facebook is also at STScast. Instagram is STScast.gram. You can get to me on any of those. The easiest way for me to get it is to go to STScast.com. Go down the bottom of the main page. And there's a form that you can fill out, and you can send that to me. Uh, you can just send me an article if you want. You can send me... Oh, yeah, Reddit. There's also a Reddit, a Reddit subreddit uh, that I have linked at the bottom of the STS cast page as well. Uh, that's another way you can get to me. But want to send a news article, you can do that. Want to type up your, your story, your experience, UFOs, true crime, Bigfoot, whatever. Um, we can find a way to do it. You want to come on, get on Skype or whatever, and and talk about it, or Zoom, or whatever, and we can do that that way, you know. If you want to record your own little thing and just send me the MP3, I love stuff like that, because I don't have to do any work. Then, you know, there's a bunch of ways we can get it, there's a bunch of ways we can talk about it, but we can get on this, we can get it on this show if you would like. So, like I said, 
if you want to support the show uh, and you can throw some bones at it, Patreon is coming up. We've got the ACAST supporter going, uh, all that. If you want to buy a shirt or a sticker, got a coffee mug, uh, go to the merch tab on the STS Cast website and you can find all of that there. If you can't or you don't want to support the show financially, just let someone know about it. Like I said, word of mouth is probably the best way to get the show out. I mean, leaving a review, please do that on your podcatcher of choice. That helps, but it does help a lot. But really just telling someone about the show is if everyone that listens to the show gets one more person to listen to the show, then the, then the audience automatically doubles just like that. So there are a bunch of ways you can support it. And I'm going to be here as long as I can do it. Lots of great stuff coming up for season four. Uh, just more stories going forward and some spookiness, some spookiness uh, next week. I hope unless I decide to change it, but that's been the show. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for waiting for season four. Uh, I know this episode has been a long one, but I hope it's a good one and I will see you guys. I won't see you. This is a podcast. But I will be here in a couple of weeks with another episode. But until then, remember, every town has a story. What is yours? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.